Thank you, and, um, and welcome to the anniversary celebration. You didn't know you were coming to an anniversary celebration, did you? Well, one year ago, uh, we began our all journey. I'm going to tell you all about that. One year ago, I introduced you, I told you the story of Lawn Chair Larry. Now, some of you remember it, but others of you weren't here, so let me rehearse it. Larry Walters was a California truck driver, but he didn't want to be a truck driver. He wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to fly, but he didn't have a pilot's license, and he didn't have a plane. So on July 2nd, 1982, Larry and his girlfriend Carol bought 45 eight-foot weather balloons and filled them with helium. Larry tied the balloons to a lawn chair, put on a parachute, strapped himself into the lawn chair in his backyard in San Pedro, California. He took a pellet gun so he could shoot the balloons so he could land. He took a CB radio, camera, sandwiches, and some beer. When his friends cut the cord that tied the lawn chair to his Jeep, Larry's lawn chair rose to about 16,000 feet. Now, he wanted to fly over the Mojave Desert, but instead, he drifted into restricted airspace over Long Beach International Airport. So he shot several of the balloons, but then he dropped his pellet gun overboard. And so as he neared the ground, the dangling cables of the deflated balloons got caught in a power line. That caused a 20-minute blackout in Long Beach, California. As Larry finally climbed to the ground, he was immediately arrested by the Long Beach Police Department. And after his release from jail, Lawn Chair Larry tried his hand at being a motivational speaker. His theme was, a man just can't sit around. Now, some of you, I think, Right now, you came, and you're just going to sit around, and you're sitting still. No, you're sitting on a planet that's rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. In addition to that, our planet is revolving around the sun at 67,000 mile, miles per hour. You're not sitting still. You're not sitting still physically, but friends... You're not sitting still spiritually. Hebrews 9.27 gives us a very pointed reminder. It says, we are all destined to die. And after that, the judgment. Now, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be judged for your sins. Jesus took that judgment on himself on the cross. But we're going to be judged for our faithfulness to God, how faithful we've been to him. And this morning, every one of us are on that journey. We're one day closer uh, to standing before God. We're all on a journey, a spiritual journey, an eternal journey. Now, your elders and governing board voted unanimously uh, about a year and a half ago for us as a church together to go on our all journey. Why? 
because we have been asking God to grow us. We've been asking God to do great things through us. We've been asking God to use us to bring more people to Christ than we ever have before. And we decided to call it our all journey. Why? Because all God has for us, that's what we want. And, and, and we want our church to be all about God and the mission that Jesus Christ gave us. And there are some important steps. There are two all-important steps in your insert, and your bulletin mentions that, and I hope you'll read that thoroughly today. But the first one is to do more, to reach out, to impact, to help the people in our community. And, and to do that, we strengthen existing ministries. Like, you know, our Monday morning coffee where a group of people get up at 5 in the morning to come and love on people as they're going to work and, and, and to church and to school. And, and we've exist, strengthened existing ministries. But we also started new ones. We really did. Because we wanted to see people come to Christ. Now, we're going to show a video about that. Uh, about a ministry that's called Uncommon Kids that Mike referred to. We held an event yesterday, and uh, God laid it on Dean and Joey to start this ministry. So let's watch that video. As you can see, Dean and Joita are not professional actors. They're people like you and me that want to do something for God. And they want to see people come to Christ. And so they started. And we had other ministries that start because people want to do something that really matters. And friend, that's our primary goal in all. That all of us do what God wants us to do, what he created us to do, what he designed us to do. Everybody who attends Alliance, doing something, doing what God designed us to do and what God's going to use. We know that's God's goal. Not, not just for some of us, not just for leaders to be, you know, doing some ministry, not, not just some of us doing our part, all of us. And when, when God created you, he designed you for a mission to carry out and that's your life journey. And for 
three weeks, we're going to look at the life of David because, uh, again, he was, a, he, was a, he was a man. He was a boy just like us, okay, just a human. And God took him on a journey that was amazing. And we're going to study his life because there's some lessons for each one of us. And today we turn to first chapter, or first Samuel chapter 17, a story that I know you know, but there's some really, really important lessons for us here. 1 Samuel 17, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. They assembled at Sokah in Judah. Saul, the king of Israel, assembled his army camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine feet. Now, some people say, oh, well, people don't grow that high. They're tall. Okay. No, there are people alive today that are eight feet or whatever. So, in the Bible, it's not myth. It's not fairy tale. It is God working through his people. Let's, let's jump down to 18, or verse 8, to continue our story. Goliath stood there, and he shouted to the whole army of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle anyway? Am I not a Philistine, and, and you're, you're not, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will kill your subject. We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now, you know, I wish we'd do battle like this today. I mean, this is a smart strategy, isn't it? Now, what's the strategy of warfare in, in, in our world today? It's nuclear annihilation. Wipe everybody out. No. Philistines said, hey, let's just kill one enemy soldier, and then all the rest can be our servants. That was an economic solution. Okay, I don't like it either, but that's the way it was, all right? Then the Philistines said, verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel and of God. So give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were demoralized and terrified. They were terrified because here was this giant. And each one of us have giants in our lives that make us afraid and terrorize and demoralize us and keep us from all that God has. They were terrified because if Goliath won, then they would all become slaves. Now that takes us to our first life lesson here today about not trusting God because, friend, even if when we're us believers, we have a, a problem with totally trusting God. But not trusting God, number one, makes us slaves of fear instead of sons and daughters of God. What keeps us from the great things that God wants to do? I mean, we read in the Bible here about ordinary people and God does great things in their life. What keeps us from doing the great thing God wants to do? Fear. The fear of totally trusting God. That was the problem with the Israelite army. 
that keeps us from growing. That, keep, that paralyzes us spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally. It, it robs us of the blessings that God has for us. And this day, God delivered his people from this slavery to fear. Because one boy totally trusted God. Verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and eat ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. David had seven brothers. David was the youngest. They were in the army. So this caring father saying, Hey, take these supplies to the camp. Now, this would have been a trip, a journey, of about 18 miles. But David's trip was not just a journey from his home in Bethlehem to a battlefield. It was a journey from watching a small flock of sheep to delivering or defeating a huge giant. This was a journey for him from the mundane of life that we can settle for to the miraculous that God wants to do. This was his journey from being in a safe sheep field pasture to being on the front lines of God. And, and friend, every day is a journey that gets us closer to God or further away from him. God's on the move. We're followers of Jesus Christ. He's working his plan. We follow. If we don't, we're getting further away. And God is always inviting us and challenging us to take that next step that he wants us to take. And when we do, we get his blessing. Verse 22, David ran <laughs> to the battle lines. He was ready. He met with brothers. He asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, this Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it for the first time. He was ready to fight. But, verse 24, whenever the Israelite army saw this man, they all, what, fled. Because of what? Because of their great fear. You see, fear keeps us from, doing, from God doing the great things he wants to do. All the soldiers in the Israelite army were afraid to trust God. And in Alliance, we don't want to be afraid to trust God. That's our calling. That's our privilege. And our all journey is about you and me not being crippled by our fears. All is about us taking the next step to trust our nothing is impossible God so that he brings more people to Jesus Christ in the future than we've ever had in the past. Verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying to each other, do you see how this giant keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. He comes out to defy us, our armies. And the king, I mean, he's so desperate, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, that was quite an incentive, wasn't it? And who did God give that great wealth to? To David. Great wealth. I mean literal wealth. Financial wealth. 
But you and I know that financial wealth, that's not the greatest wealth of all, is it? And that's life lesson number two for us here today. Not totally trusting God keeps us in poverty. And what's more important than than financial poverty? Spiritual poverty. Eternal poverty. Emotional poverty. Financial poverty. Not trusting God keeps us in poverty instead of God's provision. God is the provider of all that we need, of all that's valuable, of all the wealth that's eternal. He wants to provide. And a man can have billions of dollars, but if he doesn't have God, he has nothing. Because he'll lose every dollar of it in the day he dies. Fear robs us of the blessing God has for us. But trust, trust in God. Not just saying we do, really trusting him. So we're ready to do what he asks us to do. That moves God to give us the blessings because our loving Heavenly Father wants to give, wants to bless his children. And I found this definition of trust. It's living for God. And it's giving to God. First, ourselves then our talents, our skills, then everything about us. It's living for God and giving to God, convinced of the reliability and generosity of God. God took this poor shepherd boy and made him one of the richest kings who ever lived. Imagine that. Why did God do that? Why why did God do this for this shepherd boy? God knew David would use it wisely. God knew that all that wealth, all that power, all that influence that David would have, that David would use to bring the pagan nations around Israel to come to know the one true God. And that's what God did. Wouldn't you like to be someone God can trust? great wealth the greatest wealth of all trust God trust God enough to give to God what he asks of you do you give God what you can spare or what shows that you really trust God see God asks us to give financially to him. God asks us to give uh, money. Does God need your money? He owns the universe. God doesn't need us to give him money. We need to give so we get God. Why? Because do you know what the number one enemy of the human heart usually or often is? God's word says the love of what is the root of all evil? The love of money. And the only way to keep money from being our God is to be willing to give it to God. Verse 28, when David's older brother Eliab heard David speaking with the men, asking all these questions, 
hinting that he was ready to go, Eliab burned with anger at David, and he asked him, why have you come down here? And with who would you leave those few sheep that you're watching in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You just came down here to watch the battle. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against that Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. And did you notice, did God's people try to encourage David to do God's will? No. Was everybody thankful that there was one person that was willing to step out and do what God wanted them to do? No. David's brothers tried to keep him from doing what God wanted. David's king, Saul, tried to keep him from doing what he wanted. And friend, that's the reality that, see, others may not want you to do all God wants you to. Others and self will tell you you can't. But God's word says, I can do all things. If, it, if he wants me to do it, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everybody told David what he couldn't do. What did David tell them? What God can do. Verse 34, David said, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The un this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And that's not God's will. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I heard, uh, incidentally, that someone say, excuse me, <coughs> that uh, David would have made a great player in the National Football League. He beat the lions, he beats the bears, and he certainly wasn't afraid of the giants. Apologies to you Giants fans over there. Sorry about that, okay? Well, David goes. Verse 42, Goliath looked at David, looked him over. He saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and, and Goliath despised. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. What did David say? Yeah, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. This day, this day, right now, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know what? 
that God is God, that there's a God in Israel and he's the one true God. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And I want you to look back there at verse 46, those first two words, this day. Today is the day that God wants us to trust him to slay the giants in our life. Because, see, the human response is to say, well, someday I'm going to do that. You know, we're Christians, and, and you know, we should, we should pray with each other in our homes. If we're, you know, Christians, we, we should, you know, want to pray together, you know. And, but sometimes we're afraid to do it. Why? Because I'd love to hear your voice. You don't have to be eloquent in prayer. You just have to have a sincere heart. Is, is today the day that you'd be willing to step forward and say, you know, I'm going to start praying with my family because I, I want God to bless my family and I want our family to do God's will. A lot of Christians are afraid to tell others about their personal relationship with the Lord. Oh, you know, I don't know how to say it right, or they're not interested, or, or whatever. But isn't today a good day? The day that we should start doing what God wants us to do today. Don't you want to experience the blessings of God in your life? Don't you want to really trust him instead of just, you know, us saying we do today? David didn't wait till he grew up. He did it today. And what happened? Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He didn't run away. He ran to reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck the Philistine and killed him. And then let's go to the third life lesson that God, oh, he wants us to know this. Not trusting God will keep us from the miracles God wants to do in all of us. Because verse 51 says this. When the Philistines saw that their hero, their giant, was dead, they turned and ran. Then what happened? Then the men of Israel, then the army of God surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. When David finally totally trusted God, then all the other Israelites finally did too. Friend, that's God's plan. Not that just one or a few do ministry in the church. Not just that 
one or two, one or two prayers, one, just that one or two want to serve God, not just that one or two prayers, one or two witness, or one or two give greatly and sacrificially. No, for all of us, that's God's plan. When David trusted God, then all the other Israelites did too. That's God's plan. Not just for one or a few in our church to trust God, but every one of us here today would truly trust God. In your bulletin today is that one-page summary. I ask you just to take it out because I just want to direct you to something on the back side, page two uh, side, the bottom right-hand corner. It talks about our goals with our all journey. Why in the world are we doing this anyway? Okay? Our number one goal is what? Bottom right, 100% participation. See, because the church should be the army of God. Everyone doing God's will for God's kingdom and God's glory. God wants you. He wants me. He wants every one of us here to take the next step in our life of really trusting God and obeying Him. Why? Because our mission is too great, too important for just a few to carry out. God's God's will is that all of us, just like the Israelite army, that all of us now surge forward. But if you don't take the next step, in trusting God, you won't experience a blessing yourself and the miracles yourself that God wants to do through you. We have people here at Alliance who a year ago, many people here who a year ago took that next step to trust God, to start a ministry, work in a ministry, whatever, to give, to give sacrificially and joyfully so that other people would come to know Jesus Christ. And friend, they're asking you to join them. If we all surge forward if we all take the next step in our spiritual journey in life our church will grow then we'll bring people to christ and friend we'll be able to remodel this building you know we started about two years ago to plan to remodel this building and you know how construction goes and planning goes and all that it just kind of you know kept delaying and everybody's busy and all this kind of stuff and then I think God said, well, you know, you really don't realize the urgency of it and the need for it to do it quickly. So I think I'll just let a little lightning hit the roof and the church will get on fire and then you'll know that you have to do that. And some of our systems have reached the point, you know, where they're aging. I mean, we've got to rebottle this building. Why? So we have a beautiful building? No. So it'll be a place where more people can come to Christ. Because that's our mission. That's our calling. I came across this next thing. It's on your outline. Of course, we'll show it on the screen here. It's the questions to ask ourselves. Somebody asked these questions. Do I really trust God? And I like a David. Do, do, do I really trust God? And I, I call it the, the trust test. And friend, I struggle with these same questions as you may today as well. But here they are. Who or what? Do I really trust the most? Myself? My family? My spouse? My skills? My intellect? My gut? I've heard so many people say, well, I just felt like that's what God wanted me to do. My paycheck? My money? Or God? Who do I really trust the most?
to? What next step does God want me to take? You see, God wants us all to grow. That means taking next steps. But I don't want to. I'm afraid to. Afraid to maybe some, a lot of Christians are afraid to get in a, a, a group, a, a growth group, you know, where, oh no, they'll find out who I am or they'll ask me about my life or, or something. And I, d- I don't want that. But that's where we grow. Getting in a group, serving in a ministry. Everybody has a spiritual gift to use in ministry. Question number three, what scares me more? Not enough money or not enough God. Not enough money scares me. What ought to scare us more is not enough God. Number four, if I trust God more, what am I afraid that he'll ask me to do? To start start praying with my family? To join a group where I'll grow? Is it to give more money to God? And, and I know um, a lot of people say, oh, churches shouldn't preach about money. And believe me, it's not my favorite subject. But you know what? Jesus did. Next to salvation and faith, the number one topic of Jesus was money. 16 out of Jesus' 38 parables were about how we handle the money that God gives to us. One out of ten verses in the Gospels deal with money. Why is that? Why did Jesus say so much about money? Why does the New Testament? Because this. If, if we can't trust God with our money, we won't trust him with all the other areas of our life either. If we don't trust him enough to give what he asks us to give, then, then we don't really trust God. But if we take that step, we take that step of giving what God wants us to give then we can slay the giant of fear in our hearts and we can receive God's blessing in our first church uh, Don and I met uh, a lady named Judy Howard she was one of the happiest most joyful Christians I ever met she was a joy to be around uh, I asked her if she was raised in a Christian home, and she said, no, my family went to church, but they didn't know the Lord at all. And then she told me how she came to know Christ, and it was exciting. And then she said, uh, you know, before that, my husband Dick and I, I mean, we were always having financial problems. We were always fighting. She said, I became a Christian first. And no one ever told me that I should, but I started this thing called tithing. She said that Dick hadn't come to know Christ yet, (laughs) so she kept it a secret. She kept the book, so she didn't tell him. She said, our finances turned around when when I started trusting God. Then we stopped fighting. And Dick saw that in my life, and and he became a Christian, and and I told him what I had been doing, and he said... (laughs) Well, then let's keep tithing. And Jesus said, God has blessed us so much. We can't outgive God. And a 
lot of people think, well, I don't have enough money to give more to God. I would have to totally trust God to give more. Exactly. You would have to trust God more. And that's exactly the best thing that could happen to you. And that's exactly the best thing that God wants to do in your life, to grow your faith so that he can give you more to do more with for his honor and for his glory. See, to really take that next step of trusting God, we have to obey God in the area that we're most afraid to obey him, whatever that might be. And so I close with this. Friend, God, we're on a journey as a church. We've mapped it out. After, after ha, uh, having prayed and believing this, God, what wants, he do, God wants us to do. But friend, I want to say this. God's mapped out a journey for you. Before he created you, he mapped it all out. He wants you to be like David. Someone who will learn to trust God. And he'll, he'll take the journey from little trust in God to totally trust in God. And if we as a church will come to trust God, then he can use us to bring more to Jesus Christ in the future than we have done ever in the past. I have a, a note in my pocket. I almost always have a note in my pocket like this. And it doesn't look very important but it really is because it's the things that I need to do that day or that week or I'm in trouble and it's my reminder to do them and so I stuff that in my pocket you know because I know when I reach for my keys or when I reach for something it's there in front of you in the uh, pew there is a, uh, a card it's the taller of the cards and, and I want you to take one, please. And here's why. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to give this morning, all right? Because the worst thing that could happen is for me to beg you to give something. And you see, I don't really know what God wants you to give. And so... I'm encouraging you, if you're, if you're a guy, okay, to fold this and put it in your pocket. Not yet, but uh, when we leave today. Because we can't complete, we can't carry out our mission without funding. I mean, we need people, we need a lot of things. We can't do it without funding either. And when all of us do what God wants us to do, you know what that happens then? The need's met needs met and so I'm asking you if you put this in your pocket ladies if you put it in your purse or wherever you uh, go throughout the day is a reminder to pray I don't want you to give to God what I want I want you to give to God what he wants you to give now God may tell you to give nothing I doubt it. I doubt it. Because then you wouldn't grow. Then you
then you wouldn't learn to trust God. Then you wouldn't be a candidate for some of the great things he wants to do. So, you pray. I just, I ask you to pray this week. God, what's my part? What's, what's the next step that you want me to take so that we together bring more people to Jesus Christ? I started with a story that I shared a year ago, and that's not very long ago, and you, most of you remembered it. Why do I do that? Well, because that's not the rest of the story. Eleven years later, on October the 6th, 1993, at the age of 44, Lawn Chair Larry, Larry Walters, committed suicide. He shot himself in the heart. And I just thought how ironic that was. Because reading about his life, here was a man who had a longing in his heart. And he tried to fill it with adventure, with fame, with pleasure, with fortune. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said this. There is in the heart of every man a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. Friend, nothing can fill the God-shaped vacuum in your life other than God himself. Possessions can, people can't, money can't, fame can't. Don't trust in things that will fail you. Trust God, for he never fails. Just bow your heads. Thank you. thank you that when we fail you're ready to forgive us ready to pick us up ready to let us resume the journey Father you have a great journey for everyone here today and God this week we're going to pray God what's the next step or steps in my jing out to bring the law of uh, ministering to my family, of uh, reaching out to uh, bring the lost people to Jesus. What's, what's, what's my next steps? We're going to pray. And friend, I just, I just encourage you, I urge you, I plead with you to pray for God's direction for your journey. Because God wants to show you. For some of you, it's coming to know Jesus is your Savior. It's realizing you can't be good enough to get to heaven. There's only one way, and that's because Jesus died on a cross, and you need a Savior. For some of you, that's your step today. For all of us, there's a step. That's why we're still here. And God has a journey for our church. It's to carry out the Great Commission, the last command of Jesus Christ. Be a growing disciple and then to go and make disciples of others. And God, we cannot shrink from that mission. For some of us, it's like a a Goliath and we're afraid. 
But God, if we trust you, you'll slay that giant. And I thank you that you'll do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you need prayer this morning, have questions, there will be a ministry team of uh, men or women up here. We'd be glad to pray for you, encourage you, ask, answer questions, anything you want. We also have classes as well. But I, I ask you to be praying this week. And I hope you'll join us next week. We're going to look at another episode in David's life about this journey that God has for us. And so I hope to see you next week. Hey, let's go out and serve God. You're dismissed. God bless you.